Welcome to the Cook Crime Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. We are going to be coming a bit more conscious about how we use water in our landscaping with horticulture educator Emily Zweihart. But before we get to Emily, I am joined, as always, every single week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken, how are you doing? First time I've ever said that today. I'm having a little bit of deja vu right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I might have forgotten to hit the record button when we did this earlier. So, listeners, viewers, you get take two. It's going to be even better than take one, though I probably won't be. It's always always best when you're fresh, right? It'll be all right. That's yeah. all good. So, Ken, how are things going for you in your landscape? Are you ready for the impending frost that is just knocking on our door here? I am. I am excited for cooler weather. Um, I think we got down to about mid-30s. I'm all mid-upper 30s here in Jacksonville. So all of our dahlias are still going. I was kind of surprised. Um, so it's about the last thing I have to do in the landscape is get them dug. Yeah, my cannas still look pretty good, so I'm 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 happy about that. So once we get a little bit of frost, I'll I'll get those out of the ground and hide them away in the basement. Um, I've got all my house plants inside um, uh, and kind of scattered throughout the garage and driveway. So wherever I can find a, a spot for them right now, uh, eventually they'll all find a home. Um, but it's uh, it's a lot of ginger <laughs> that I propagated this year, and I'm I'm working on some disease free stock for next year. So they're in soil free media; they've never touched the ground, and so I'm uh, hopefully hoping out that I can find space to keep all these plants alive for next March when we start them again. Yeah, no, I think about it. I think I left some ginger in pots outside. They'll be fine. I'll have to check that and see how they do. They'll be fine. You know, they're a tough plant. I've grown them for many years and they're tougher than you think. Um, just don't let the rhizomes freeze. You didn't let the rhizomes freeze, did you, Ken? It didn't get that cold. Okay, good. Well, they'll not. be fine. They'll be fine. No no worries about that. So um, yeah, I also have some trees that need to go on the ground, um, but I haven't done that yet. And I've spent so much time this summer watering stuff. Ken, did you... Were you watering this summer at all? Uh, was, not as much as you should. As much as you should. <laughs> um, so we went on vacation and it got really hot and dry. And we had our, our oldest son, one of his friends, watching at our house. And we didn't want to put that pressure on him because it to water our garden and everything properly, it takes a couple hours uh, to do. So we lost well, a fair amount of plants in the vegetable garden. So we didn't really have to water that much. Um, but we did earlier... Um, this fall, late summer, we water quite a bit so we get the ground soft enough to dig to plant stuff. So now that that rain's returned and it looks like it's going to continue, hopefully we're we're done with the watering. Hopefully, yes. Well, I I just recall being out there in the backyard, hose in hand, and it it hurts my soul a little bit to take water, which we've put energy and 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 engineering and all of the stuff that takes to make dirty water drinkable. And here I am just dumping it on the ground. Um, so it 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 kind of hurt me a little bit every time I need to do that. I even had to water my lawn the other day. It's so dry in Macomb, which I know, I know, sad, sad, but we'll we'll talk about that. Um, because I think we need I think we need to talk about maybe ways we can be a bit more 
conscientious about our water usage in the home landscape. So let's bring in our special guest for today, horticulture educator, Emily Zweihart in Milan, which I learned because I've already talked to you today. <laughs> Hi, yes, I'm in Milan. <laughs> we uh, um, cover Henry Mercer, Rock Island and Stark counties. Yes. So, uh, yep, up in the Quad Cities, and I beat you guys to it. We had a little bit of frost in some areas uh, this morning. So, you know, winter's cool. coming. Ken, you're going to be in your glory. I'm thinking about hibernating. It's fine. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be fine. This is when Ken comes out of his cave. Yes. Rolls around in the snow. He emerges. Yes. <laughs> Wintertime butterfly. Ah, uh, Yes. Well, uh, Emily, thank you for doing this again. Um, and uh, we we, we want to talk to you today about water conscious landscaping um, that, you know, just wanted to, to, you know, just ask you, are are you ready for fall? Are you ready for the frost that you just had? Um, I really want to say yes, but no, no, <laughs> I wasn't. Um, still got a few things in the garden that I'm hoping um, are going to make it, you know, I spent so many hours, like you guys, you know, said watering and trying to get things going in the, in the garden, um, was successful in some cases, not successful in others, but the, you know, this end of the season here, it feels extra pressure to harvest the food that I was able to grow because I don't want to have wasted all that time and energy and water, um, you know, on a food crop that I'm not able to, uh, preserve for the winter. So have a few more things to do. Um, trees i've been watering um the soil is is very dehydrated it, it's i need to get some more water into that uh into that soil going into winter we'll talk about why but um i've been working on that and then i have a few new plants that um always need water you know as they're they're transplanted and so um getting there never enough time but we'll we'll do what we can and uh, that'll have to be enough yeah well in an effort for us to become more uh, uh, better, more conscious of using water in our landscape, uh, we have a series of questions for you. Um, and so, Ken, would you get us started this week, please? I can do that. So our first question is, what exactly is water-conscious landscaping? This is just a fancy way of saying xeriscaping or any other those terms out there, and we're just going to plant a bunch of cactus in our yards now. <laughs> Well, there's a little more nuance than that. And so um, while I do love, you know, cacti and uh, I do love the Southwest, that is not the landscape that we are going to be encouraging people to plant um, today. That I think is oftentimes what people think of when they hear xeriscape. And that term generally is used to describe um, designing a landscape that is drought resistant. Um, you're planning for the lack of water. Uh, which is okay. Um, certainly this year, that would have been beneficial, um, you know, to have a landscape that was willing and um, able to respond to not having hardly any water given to it. But water conscious landscaping um, is more of a, a well, you're, you're just more conscious of how you're going to be using water in the landscape. You're making decisions for your landscape, for your management strategies and plans based on water use or factoring water use and need heavily into the equation, maybe more so than we have in the past. And so it's just elevating it on your checklist of things um, that you are considering when you're installing a landscape um, to be you know, more priority. You know, we're not the desert here in Illinois. We're the, we have prairie, we have, we have hardwood trees. Um, 
we get lots of rain. Should is should we worry about using water in our home landscape? Is that a really worry for us? Well, I think so. And you say we get lots of rain. Sometimes we do. You know, there are, are um, cycles of climate patterns that give us a lot of, of water. Sometimes for a number of years, we get adequate rainfall and snowpack. And so our, um, you know, our, our lakes and our rivers and our groundwater can be recharged. Then we get into patterns like we have been in lately where it's just not happening for us. We are not getting um, natural water provided. So when we have a landscape that we are caring for, that we have invested time and energy and and finances into, uh, we will need to provide some supplemental water because plants need water. At the end, like they all do. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but at the end of the day, plants need water. And so uh, we need to be conscious of it. You know, in Illinois, there are some folks that have um, well water. Some get their um, drinking water, their potable water from um, lakes and streams and rivers. Um, we have the Mississippi along, um, you know, many of the counties that I serve. I cross over it every day, get to get to see it. And, um, you know, in some places in the Midwest, when we have these large bodies of water um, or we've grown up here and we think, oh, like we'll get rain. That's what we do in the Midwest. Um, we, we take it for granted. And I think that maybe we are reaching a point in our culture and in our, um, you know, in the climate that we really are more aware of water in our landscape. So with this Mississippi, it seems like it's an endless source of fresh water. But this summer I saw sand um, sandbars that I've never seen before. And they were larger than we've ever seen before. And so, um, you know, those water levels have changed and they they may not may not recover. You know, based on your guys' uh, conversation with Trent Ford a couple weeks ago, he's, you know, telling us we need to consider um, water conservation because this winter might not give us that moisture back. And so next spring you know, we might be starting, you know, in a deficit. So yeah, that, that was a wordy way of saying, yeah, we need to consider water. <laughs> definitely need to consider water. Most definitely. Yes. I, it's very, very important. Yeah. This um, contamination is a problem, um, has been a bigger problem in the past, but there's, we're doing better at keeping our, our water clean for the most part in s- some parts of the country here. So yeah. It's important, folks, even though we get lots of rain sometimes. 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 And sometimes we get, you know, we may need rain, but we don't get it. You know, we may have, you, know, you look at the averages, you may average enough for the year. But if you get that all in the early in the year, it doesn't necessarily help you a whole lot towards the end of the year. So True. timing is important, too. Well, yeah, that's and I guess an excellent point. Trent even made that point. He said, we got, had no rain this year, but we got rain exactly when... The corn farmers needed it in July. Like if that didn't happen, there would have that would have spelled big trouble for grain crops in the Midwest. All right. So we've kind of talked about why we should be concerned with water, or at least think about it a little bit. Uh, what are some some ways we can incorporate water conscious landscaping into our landscapes? Yeah, that's a good question. So every time you're approaching you know, a plant decision, a landscape decision. Um, you know, Chris and I have identified ourselves as having a design background. Uh, don't hate us for that. <laughs> Hold it against us. They but will. That's, I know. <laughs> I know. And that's all right. Let me try to justify why, why I think this is an asset. So having that training, every time I get excited about planting, you know, plants and landscape, or I start thinking about how I'm going to use, um, you know, a garden site that, 
you know, that we are, are using for demonstration. I don't start with the plants. The plants are actually the last thing that I, I go to because before you plant something, you need to understand where you're putting them. It goes back to that right plant, right place. Well, this is the right place situation where we need to know what it, what the site is going to give us. So some of the main concerns that are going to um, impact our decisions when it comes to plant material and water use are things like your slope. So how is this the site sloped or not sloped? Like where is water draining? Um, when you do get those rainfalls, where is it going? Um, is it running off of the site? Are you going to be able to capture it and hold it on site? Is it going to the plants that you want it to have? Um, or is it draining away from the plants that you, you want that water to be feeding? And so um, looking at your slope. Soil conditions and a simple soil test will tell you so much about your soil conditions, but um, sandy soils are going to have a lower capacity to hold moisture. Clay soils oftentimes have a higher capacity to retain water, sometimes to the detriment of plants if you're putting the wrong plant there. And so um, being aware of what your soil conditions are like, high organic matter um, in your soil, so like that four to five percent is going to be optimal for um, retaining moisture and helping to hold some of that within the soil. So do you have an abundance? Do you have a lack thereof? Sun exposure, you want to, I mean, in the hot summer days, you know, those long days, sun exposure can can significantly affect transpiration and evaporation rates, which is just a fancy way of saying water going away, going up into the atmosphere, um, either through the plants or through, um, you know, leaving like soils or mulches or, um, so, and then I guess wind. Wind would be another one. I don't think we pay enough attention to what our wind patterns are, especially in the Midwest. We have some significant wind um, kind of throughout the year, um, winter winds, summer uh, summer winds, and that can be really um, draining on plants. That can cause some dry out, um, especially in the winter. Um, can, and so paying attention get, to all of those things. Curious, can you just explain transpiration real quick, just for some listeners who may not know, like, what are we transpirating? What what's that? What is transpiration? So, transpiration. Um, well, okay, let's start with evaporation. So mm -hmm. evaporation is water just turning from um liquid to a vapor, right? We we're kind of used to that. We can see that on the stovetop, like through steam coming off of a boiling pot of water. That um is very evident to us. Transpiration is water turning into vapor, but it's going through plant material to do so. And so um, plants have, you know, stomata that are going to open and, and basically water is always moving around us through our plants. You can't see it oftentimes, but there's so much water movement happening in plants. Um, and a lot of that goes out. It goes up through the plants from the soil, up through the plants, and then out into the atmosphere. You can experience this, um, you know, in the summer, like you're walking through a, a cornfield, um, it's often a lot more humid in a cornfield than it is outside of the cornfield. That um, that's transpiration happening. Corn so, sweat. Yes. Corn sweat. Yeah, yeah. Wear long sleeves if you're going to do that. Not because <laughs> the cooler temperatures good; they'll cut you. But um, mm -hmm. so that's transpiration. So water's always it's it's water going up into the atmosphere. Yeah. Thanks. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I take for granted that I, we we have these big fancy terms for just basically water going up into the atmosphere. Twenty dollars. Um, words. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so, like, back to your question, Ken. Like, the site considerations. Like, you need to understand the site 
where what you're planting where. So whether that's a vegetable garden, which is going to be full of maybe annual plants, um, all the way up to woody plant materials, you know, shrubs and trees that are going to be there for a lot longer term. Um, understanding how your site exists already is going to help you influence. It's going to help influence those um, plant choices. And sometimes we need to be flexible as to what we are going to be putting on that site. This is where like that water conscious landscaping really comes into effect, which is maybe I want something here, but the site is telling me it is going to require a lot of supplemental water or it's this, this plant is not well suited for the site conditions. And I cannot modify those site conditions um, to the, to the point where it makes sense to put this plant there. So I need to modify my goals. Um, that can be hard for people. It can be hard for me sometimes. Um, but it is, if you're going to be practicing water conscious landscaping, um, that's part of it. Yeah. The, um, even though maples are native ish to the Eastern part of the U S um, especially during the drought this year, I saw a lot of maples, especially have issues with leaf scorch, drying out, wilting, um, saw that a lot in the maples, a lot of the oaks and some of the other hickories and walnuts, they looked okay. It was still dry. They're still stressed from that that heat, but really started to manifest in that in those maples later on in the summer. Yeah, well, and you think about maples for the most part, um, we're talking like sugar maples is oftentimes, you know, the ones that we're looking at are red maples. Um, they, their origin is in kind of upland woodlands, you know, farther north. They are... Mm -hmm native but they are oftentimes in a plant community that protects them from wind there's an ample amount of shade in woodlands um there's adequate moisture because it's being kind of cycled in that ecosystem they don't originate along boulevards or in you know turf-filled backyards and that's a lot of times where we're putting our trees are in these challenging landscapes compared to what um their parent material came from and uh and they suffer for it it's just the wrong plant in the wrong place so. mm -hmm. So a few other strategies that we might employ, and this is one we had a whole show on the other week uh, and, and and can help even if we maybe put that maple where it shouldn't. Um, it can help to insulate that soil. Mulch, Emily, you know, sh should we just like link to people to that show? Because we really dove into it when it comes to mulch. Yes, I recommend going back and listening to that because probably your best episode, just all mulch. And Emily, of course, was the guest. That That's show. not. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But mm -hmm. um, no, mulch is wildly important. And that that episode, in all seriousness, does cover a lot of the benefits of mulch. And so, um, you know, if, if people are still on the fence about which mulch to use or um, why it's important to to mulch and how and, and when to apply, that is a good episode. But um, from a water conservation standpoint, like mulch is where it's at. And we're talking about almost always a hardwood mulch. It's going to last longer in the landscape. It's um, a, a hardwood mulch that has variable sizes of um, particles is going to keep moisture into the soil. Um, it, it, it does depend. There is some nuance with mulch. Um, again, back to like what you're using your landscape for. So um, I kind of, most of what I do is either perennial growing or vegetable growing. Those are kind of the two areas and you can generalize out from there. So if you're not growing vegetables and you're growing annual flowers, the same principles apply. Um, but, you know, in the spring, right? So people will, will be thinking about the spring and planning ahead. With mulch, it can 
cause soil temperatures to um, to to be more moderate across the winter, which is great. In the spring, though, it's going to prevent um, the soil from warming up. So on a on a um, garden where you're planting annuals, you're going to want to wait until that soil um, warms up so that seeds can germinate and then the roots can get established because roots are going to help access water. Then you would apply mulch. If you have a perennial landscape or you have woody um, plant materials, you're going to want to keep mulch um, around the base of those plants kind of all year long. Um, and that is because you want the soil temperature to be more moderated, especially going into the winter months. Um, you want to make sure that there's a protection between those those temperature fluctuations we can have in the in the winter months. Um, you know, you want to have some protection. The mulch provides that protection, but then also the conservation of water below the soil or below the um, mulch in the soil is going to help um, moderate temperature fluctuations. And it is um, maybe not common knowledge, but it should be, and that's why we're here, which is that plants still use water in um, like the dormant season. So they're still using, even though our, you know, the trees are changing colors and leaves are dropping and we think, oh, they're dormant. Uh, the soil hasn't frozen yet. And so there's still going to be um, water usage happening. And so mulch can help um, conserve the water that we are putting on the soil. And I, I have two evergreens that I've planted. And so they especially mm -hmm. are going to be using water this winter because they hold those leaves or needles in this case. So um, I got to I have to make sure that if we don't get rain in the next few days, I need to get out there and soak that ground with those. And I put mulch over top to hold that moisture there. Yep. And from um, uh, how much, you know, I don't think we talked about this in the mulch episode, but with um, trees, you want to go out to the drip line, which can be hard for some people because trees get very big, right? Um, but that is recommended. So the drip line is the edge of the tree, right? It's where water would would drip off the, the outermost um, edge of the tree. Ideally, that is how far out you, you would um, mulch. Now the roots are going to go farther than that. Tree roots can go about three times um, wide as the tree is tall, which is a little bit mind boggling. And so it seems, it's unreasonable to expect people to water that size of a root area. But if you are conserving moisture through the use of mulch and then also supplemental water in you know times of severe drought um, around the base of the tree out to that drip line, that can still, for some large trees seem seem like a big undertaking, but that's, that is what's recommended to help supply these trees with their, with um, ample water and support their growth. So we can't talk about this, like with trees and stuff competing with turf and all that. How does a water conscious landscaping, how does a lawn fit into that? Um, <laughs> Chris, you can go ahead and jump in here and defend turf. So there are some things some things you can do if you want to have some um, turf grass. First and foremost, I like the term functional lawn. So having lawn in areas where you really need it. So my kids like to play you know, soccer and football and baseball in the backyard. I have a spot that is going to be functional and we need that turf grass in the backyard. Other areas, we don't need it. And so we could change out the plant material that is in those locations to be something that is more water conscious. Um, say like a, a native prairie, um, area where you don't need to, to provide as much supplemental water. Other things that you could do to consider um, for turf grass is in the summer, letting it go dormant. I saw so many dormant lawns this summer. Um, 
I don't think we mowed for two months straight, <laughs> you know, we just mm-hmm. don't water your lawn and it's okay. It, it, I think there's a, um, a nervousness that people have when their lawn goes dormant and that like, it's actually dead, but it's not, it's an adaptive strategy. Um, it, it's a cool season grass. It greens up in the spring, goes dormant in the hot, dry summer. It'll and right now we've been mowing like crazy because we have some cooler temperatures and we've had moisture. So it is, um, woken back up if you will. Um, so choosing to, to not irrigate and to let your lawn go dormant. Chris, you will probably jump in here and want to say, but if you do water, you have to keep watering because it's, it's detrimental to lawn health. If, um, you, you force those cycles of dormancy and, um, and breaking dormancy over and over throughout the summer. So you need to make that decision in advance, whether you're going to water or not water. Um, and then using an effective irrigation system um, when you are choosing to water uh, your lawn. Um, there are some smart irrigation systems that are available. I think, Chris, you probably know more about these. I've, I've <laughs> dabbled, but I choose not to I choose not to water my lawn. <laughs> so I don't have experience um, with them. Um, but the long and short that I know is that there are different sensors. You can choose to, uh, you can choose to add two irrigation systems that are sometimes based on um, climate reports or actual on the ground, like sensors, um, moisture sensors in the lawn. And that can help when you do apply irrigation to a lawn, you're doing it so that it is adequate, but not too much. And so helping to conserve. Do you want to add any about any more about the um, smart irrigation systems? Have you had experience with those, Chris? I've had a little bit and I'll just say, Emily, I think I found the next person to teach all the turf classes. I can retire now. Ah, yes. I'm going to go to sunny Cabo or somewhere. Yes. Um, But uh, when it comes to the smart irrigation controllers, they are very popular out West uh, where water is, is very much a contentious issue out there. Um, and they do work as Emily described in a couple different ways, whether you plug sensors into your own soil, um, or a rain gauge in your own yard. Uh, there's other ones that will actually connect to a database that, um, it has weather stations around that region that monitors not only the weather, but the evaporation, the transpiration rates of plants. I mean, it can get very scientific, I kind of wish we had more of that here in Illinois. There's land grants out west that actually do this. Like they partner with private companies, irrigation companies, so they can save people water, um, whether it's a farmer or a homeowner watering their lawn. Um, we don't necessarily, we probably could have that here in Illinois. I know U of I doesn't do it though. So um, that, but yeah, it, the the long of it is uh, smart irrigation controllers. I think they're the future. Uh, it can help you save water, and it's uh, it's an important uh, piece of technology to incorporate into our, our irrigation systems. And I'll say for irrigation, if you're setting one up, your sidewalk and your driveway doesn't need to be watered. It's true. Don't water those. Yeah, well, and timing, too. So whether you have a smart irrigation system or you're just going out with a hose, you know, timing of the application of that water Um makes a difference and so early morning um, so that that water can get into the soil instead of evaporate you know when it's 90 degrees um, and mid-afternoon um, you know it, it in the evening watering in the evening is going to let moisture sit on that plant and so like early evening or excuse me early morning watering 
is recommended because then that water gets to the plants for the day, does not sit wet on those plants, um, the plant material to promote you know, pathogens and fungus and um, you know, plant health problems. Um, so get up early. I'm a, you know, I'm a morning person. So grab your cup of coffee and go out. It's lovely mm-hmm. um, to, to water in the morning. But um, the other, um, I guess, part of, you know, there's like drip irrigation systems versus overhead watering systems. And it does depend on what landscape um, use you are applying it to. So oftentimes with the turf, you're going to have overhead watering just because of drip. You can't really have a drip system go through, um, you know, a, a turf grass system. But larger um, water particle sizes will penetrate through, you know, instead of like misting your lawn, you can have like water, um, heavier water droplets that are going to then um, reach the soil surface um, with, with greater, um, greater odds. Also, finally, back to the sensors, but there's different sensors or just making the choice of um, paying attention, like wind. <laughs> if you're watering <laughs> when it's windy and it's just blowing away, that's um, you know problematic. If you have a system that's set up um, just on a timer and it's raining and you're watering, we've I think we've all seen that happen, that um, you make, I'll make a judgment and say like, that looks silly, <laughs> but it's also not very water conscious. Um, and so, and then freeze rain sensors are, are available too, but you know, if it's you know, frozen, you don't need to be watering necessarily either. So, and kind of back to on the turf grass uh, selection side of things, uh, you people might be interested in some of the species that are a bit more drought tolerant. Um, in Illinois, there are, there are, aren't, let me back up, there are native turf grass species. In Illinois, they don't do as well. So, I'm thinking of buffalo grass. You can grow buffalo grass in Illinois. But it is a short grass prairie species. It's actually too wet in Illinois for buffalo grass for the most part. Um, so it doesn't do as well. It's a warm season grass, so it greens up in the summer months and it goes, you know, tan, brown, dormant in the spring, fall, winter. Um, and so it's maybe not the most ideal turf grass for Illinois yet. Uh, no breeders are working on that one. Another non native turf species. Um, is turf type tall fescue that's being bred because it is very drought tolerant it holds its green color much longer it has a deeper root system um one and so if you're looking for drought tolerance good that would be a good species to incorporate one thing that i have noticed in my own backyard is that it might tend to stay green longer than it should in the drought like this summer and instead of going dormant, it actually just dies. Um, so something to be mindful of. That doesn't happen every time. I think we've just had a an odd stretch of drought here in Illinois, like very unseasonably, very not typical. So uh, in a usual year, it would be fine. This year did not do well. Embrace nimble will. Yeah, too. <laughs> I hate nimble will. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's here to stay. I'm not going to spray it or pull it out. So what are we going to do? So Emily, I do use a lot of water in the vegetable garden. And I'm just curious, got any steps or tips for me to help with that? Even if it's something we've already said, I think it'd be important maybe to reiterate that because vegetable gardens are a huge use of of water 
Yeah, they absolutely are. Well, what, you know, fruits and vegetables are something between like 70 and 90% water. So they need water <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to develop a, a fruit. So I guess a couple of things, and I, I've already said these, um, some of them, but um, I guess first, like plant what you're going to use. So when you're planning your garden, make sure that you have a plan for all the produce that you are going to water through a drought so that you can harvest, you know, fruits off of them. So don't plant more than you have the capacity to either use or donate because that's just wasted water. That's a wasted resource. Um, And so, you know, it begins with planning. So make sure um, that you're thinking, you know, thinking ahead. Um, Then also when it comes to vegetable gardens, so mulch, again, you know, this would be... um, more of a biodegradable, a quick biodegradable mulch that I would recommend. So things like, um, like we talked about in our mulch episode, um, straw, um, leaves, even, you know, some newspaper, um, you know, shredded newspaper, you can till into the soil or you can incorporate into the soil or it will be, it will biodegrade quickly. Um, wood mulch is hard. I've not had great success using wood mulch in the, in the vegetable garden. It just kind of gets disturbed. Um, Every time I try to plant something different when I'm um, cycling, you know, like I, you have to have that rotation. Um, Maybe you have had a different experience. I haven't figured out quite how to make the investment of wood mulch work, but straw or leaf clippings or um, grass clippings, um, untreated grass clippings in the um, garden applied after seeds have germinated, of course, um, and the soils have warmed up. We've already said that the most of the crops that we're growing in the, um, in the uh, vegetable garden are going to like warmer soils. And so just have some patience and apply that, you know, June would be about the time frame I would start looking at applying, um, you know, after planting season. Then um, when it comes to the design of your landscape, this is something we haven't talked about yet, but doing block planting instead of row planting in your um, vegetable garden can help um, minimize and, um, can minimize water use as well as target water use. So, um, you know, traditional Midwestern um, farmers and, you know, like we all like those clean rows, those straight rows, we judge each other for them. Um, but when you, <laughs> when you Doesn't have, you can. <laughs> uh, when you have, um, so if you're planting beans, let's take beans, for example, um, instead of planting two rows of um you know, climbing beans, you plant two rows of bush beans right next to each other. They are going to shade each other. You can water in between those two rows instead of watering the row you're walking in where the weeds are going to be growing. And you're going to be able to target um, the supplemental water that you do have to provide during times of drought in a more efficient way. Um, And so I like doing block pattern for for many reasons. Um, I do think it looks nice too, but um, beyond the aesthetics, it's going to help conserve water, um, both in targeting where you're putting the water and well as shading out um, weeds, which are competition for water. They're so plants; they require water. They will take up water um, from your your garden. So also manage weeds in the in the vegetable garden. And I think some of it too is your your plant selection. You mentioned beans; those are more, I guess, drought tolerant. Mm-hmm. Than others are, are cool season grass or cool season vegetables, lettuce and um, cold crops and all that stuff. They don't handle dry conditions as well. Um, and so, so, so considering what, what you're growing as well, you know, if you're growing tomatoes, your aroma types are are better than your big beefsteak types. They're they're going to need more water and stuff. 
Yeah, that's an excellent point, Ken. And also, um, your setup. So you made me think like, you know, those early season crops, like a lot of times we can get away with growing those in um, like raised beds, but the bigger crops that we're going to be growing, like your tomatoes um, often do better in just in a deep soil. Um, and so kind of figuring out your planting system um, also with it, with raised beds or with containers, you can amend the soil more easily. You can add more organic matter. You can, you can add things that are going to help conserve moisture. And so um, it kind of goes back to that soil also, like knowing what your soil profile is too. And it all adds up. I, I, we kind of rattled off a lot of different things you can do. Um, you know, every little bit helps like start, start somewhere. I guess I would tell people, you know, I, I experimented with block planting. I grew up doing rows. I, you know, daughter of a farmer, um, you know, we would, we would do rows. And so I transitioned to block um, planting and got comfortable with that, you know, and then we'll move on to the next, you know, kind of the next things. And so it's okay to do a little bit. You don't have to do it all. Well, we, we might want to address it. You'll probably get the question in the comments about harvested water. Um, and typically that is not a recommendation for edible crops. Um, especially anything that you're growing for other people, uh, home use. I mean, heck it's your homes, your garden. Can't tell you what to do. I just say it's not recommended. Uh, it's your gastrointestinal tract. Yes. Ideally, if you are using harvested rainwater, you do not want any of that to come into contact with any edible portion of that crop. So that is pretty much being applied directly to the soil. They do make drip irrigation kits that operate via gravity. Uh, but you have to have enough gravity uh, or enough fall in order for those kits to work. Um, and all all produce needs to be washed with potable water once they're harvested. Those uh, like rain barrels or you know captured water can be used on non-edible plants. It's mm -hmm. a great source um, of water for like trees and shrubs and perennial um, you know ornamentals. Yeah, I I've been on my roof. I've seen what the raccoons and squirrels do up there. I don't want to put that on my food. Leave people with that image. Or... Yep. <laughs> I think I have a picture, but I'm not going to put, I'm not going to share it with you, Ken or Emily. So it's, it'll just be up to the imagination. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a different, that's a different show where we talk about scat and stuff like that. So show idea, scat. There, there we go. Mm -hmm. Write it down. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm busy think... that day, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm busy that day. <laughs> We're going to go through pictures. <laughs> So I think we had one last question and we've already covered it, but we can drive it home again. Um, so now that, you know, yeah, we're starting to get a little bit of leaf change here, maybe further north, you're getting more, um, you know, plants are starting to go dormant. Do we still need to about, worry about watering our trees and shrubs, things like that? Absolutely. Especially since we've had such a dry year. Um, you know, the, like I said earlier, when the above ground plant material goes dormant until the ground freezes, the roots are still growing and developing and consuming uh, moisture and transpiration is still happening, even though we don't have leaf material. So uh, yeah, we definitely need to make sure that those um, roots are hydrated going into winter um, for a number of reasons. Um, one thing that we haven't, you know, like really talked about so much, um, is how you would apply water. And I like to talk about this when I talk about watering newly planted trees, because um, when you plant a tree, so they're coming from a nursery, um, they've been watered, they've been well taken care of, they have, um, 
you know, a lot of like times the soil is medium for the root ball and it's cozy. They've been really well cared for. And then we put them into our um, landscape, which might have really nice soil, but it's not as nice as what they were getting in the, in the nursery. And so um, what we want to do is we want to encourage that root uh, development outside of the planting hole. And we need to do that by watering. And so um, planting techniques, that's another show too. That helps to encourage root development. <laughs> we could talk about that. But for the purposes of this um, conversation, we'll focus on water, which is that you need to make sure that water um, or that root ball stays moist. But you also need to make sure that the, the soil around the root ball is hydrated. And the way we do that is by a slow application of water. We need that, that moisture to get really deep into the soil. So as opposed to turf grass, those roots are about six inches deep at most. Um, tree roots and shrubs go about 18 inches deep. And so we want to soak the soil, which means oftentimes a slow drip. Now, I like to do this in two ways. Um, so I will um, have a hose running out on a very low um, pressure setting. So it just... it. It comes out and I, I actually just leave it laying there because I don't have time to just stand there and watch it you know, drip out. But I will um, leave it for, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, um, depending on how quickly it comes out. You can get very accurate um, about how long you need to leave it there to apply about 10 gallons of water is the recommended um, amount. If somebody wants to get real scientific about it or real um, mathematical about it, um, about 10 gallons of water every week um, if there's no supplemental rainfall but um you can measure into a five gallon bucket how quickly the bucket fills take that time um time frame times two and then leave that your hose on the the root ball for that long i don't get that scientific about it i leave it on there until i remember <laughs> that it was that it was on and so then i go move it because in years like now it's going to be really hard to overwater um trees especially in a, a kind of a well-drained soil that i have um, clay soils are a different consideration, but, um, so that's one method of just leaving the hose on there. Another method would be to get a five gallon bucket and, um, you would drill a small hole in the, in the bottom of it. And so it would be gravity fed and you would just blast fill this five gallon bucket. Um, you can fill it up really quickly with a hose and then you would leave it, um, by your tree and walk away until it has gravity drained all the way, um, until empty, fill it up again. Then you have your 10 gallons. That is all, I'm explaining all that because you need that water to get deep into the soil to be available to the entire root ball. It's going to encourage deep rooting, which is going to long-term help the health of your, your trees and shrubs, um, especially during the winter months. That was your original question, and you let me just go off on this tangent. But, um, yeah, as you know, as we're heading into winter, like we need to keep watering, and that's a method that we can use um, to get some moisture into that soil to help. Um, overwinter our trees and, and make sure that they come out of, of this winter ready to take on whatever next year brings us. Well, that was a lot of great information about becoming more water conscious in our landscape. Uh, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, edited this week by Ken Johnson. A uh, special thank you to Emily Zweihart for being here with us today again doing this twice <laughs> and um and uh, talking to us about becoming more water conscious in our landscape emily thanks for being here my pleasure and if we had to i would do it a third time guys well we'll hold you to that <laughs> <laughs> and uh chris thank you again as always and uh let's do this again next week 
Oh, we shall do this again next week. Have you heard? Spotted lanternfly has been found in Illinois. We're going to be talking with entomologist Dr. Casey Athey. Uh, what this means for us Illinoisans, and if you're listening in the surrounding states, you too uh, can learn all about spotted lanternfly next week. Well, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing. I knew I forgot something. That was way too easy. <laughs>